Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Daniel. In this week's episode, I'm excited to welcome Blake Osmus and Kayla Taylor. Blake, Kayla, and I discuss neurofeedback, how it works, and its benefits. We discuss how neurofeedback is a non-invasive alternative to traditional therapy, which can have powerful effects and an immediate impact on people seeking to overcome mental health struggles. Neurofeedback therapy is a form of biofeedback that uses EEG to measure brain waves and teach the brain to function optimally. Sensors are placed on the head to measure electrical signals. Then a person will receive feedback through visual or auditory input which provides messages that help to inhibit or reward certain patterns of functioning. Over time and with repetition, the brain learns these new desired patterns, and we often see a reduction in symptoms and or an improvement in many areas of life. Blake Osmus is a registered psychologist in Alberta. He is the owner of Sano State Health Clinic, and he practices in Calgary and St. Albert. Blake has been practicing biofeedback and neurofeedback therapy in Calgary since early 2014. Since then, his practice has evolved to include counseling as well. He finds fulfillment in helping people overcome trauma, both physical and emotional, through various approaches and therapies. Using a non-judgmental approach in mental health is essential to him, as he recognizes the importance of clients feeling comfortable for progress. Blake is passionate about technologies and how they can be implemented in therapy. He has been trained in several different types of neurofeedback. As a result, clients of Sanostate have access to cutting-edge therapies that are non-invasive, but very effective in supporting treatment. Blake is fluent in Spanish and earned a BA at the University of Calgary in Spanish before finishing his MSc and PhD in psychology at Walden University. Kayla Taylor is a registered psychologist in Alberta as well. She is the co-owner of Sano State Tailored Psychology Incorporated, and she practices in Calgary. Kayla is passionate about mental health and wellness and has been practicing in the field since 2010. She is a strong believer in holism, mind-body connection, and the importance of healthy and secure attachments to our overall health and well-being. Kayla works with adults, children, adolescents, and families. She supports clients through various approaches in talk therapy and play-based therapy, neurofeedback therapy, and biofeedback. Kayla has a Master of Science degree in Counseling Psychology from the University of Calgary. Kayla enjoys spending time with her family and socializing with friends, exercising, traveling, and reading and learning in her spare time. If you would like to learn more about neurofeedback and the work Blake and Kayla are doing, please check out their website, www.sanostate.com. And if you could leave a five-star review at the end of the episode, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Kayla and Blake, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really grateful that you've been able to take the time and have this conversation with me. I'm really excited about covering the topic today. It's something I thought was fascinating and having an engineering background, I Kind of wanted to nerd out so i know blake's all about that but uh before we get started i want to give you both an opportunity to introduce yourselves and and maybe share a little bit about what it is that you do where and you're both based in calgary i assume so yep. that's great being local i always enjoy having people from calgary on the podcast as well but 
Um, Kayla, if you want to go first, please feel free to just introduce yourself. Sure. Yeah. So um, my name is Kayla Taylor. I'm a registered psychologist here in Alberta, um, but I work yeah, primarily in Calgary or well, exclusively in Calgary, but kind of across the province if there's like virtual opportunities and things yeah. like that. Um, let's see. Yeah, I would consider myself to be a neurofeedback specialist, I guess, or have sure. a specialization in neurofeedback therapy. Uh, and then, um, yeah, use a few other kind of modalities and stuff in my work, but um, work with people kind of across the age span, um, have quite a, an extensive history in working with children and adolescents and kind of families, um, but also have worked with adults as well, um, especially more recently. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Cool. Yeah. Over to you, Blake. Yeah. Um, so I'm Blake. I'm also a registered psychologist. And, and like Kayla, like, well, this is why we're here and what we're talking about. We have a lot of what we do is neurofeedback. Now we do other counseling and talk therapies and other things as well. But the, but the neurofeedback is really what's unique and um, about what we do. Um, yeah, like it, it's, it's something that really brought Kayla and I together to um, to make this business run um, with neurofeedback. We just find like so exciting. You know, it, it's this it, it's this really niche thing um, that lots of people haven't heard of, but then I think it to be so effective for a lot of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is great. And and I do want to get into the idea of neurofeedback, obviously, and, and understand why it's not as common because when I was doing my research in terms of some of the ref, uh, resources you shared, Blake, I found that the, the modality has been around for 40 years or so. So why has it, it not become mainstream? So maybe that's probably a good starting point. Yeah. So that there, that's the million dollar question. Like, why is this not mainstream? And, and I get asked it all, all the time. Like, why didn't I share about this before? Yeah. And I think, some of the reasons are um, there's a bit of a steep learning curve to understand neurofeedback. Yeah. And I find a lot of people like after you finally finish university and all this schooling, it's like you're ready to get started with what you've been taught. Mm -hmm. um, and to be like, oh, now to learn something else. Um, it, it, to be honest, even when I was first doing my training, um, you do this three-month online course, and then I flew to Arizona for this one-week intensive in-house training. There's another psychologist there with me, and she dropped out after a couple of days. She's like, this is just too intense for me. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there is a bit of a steep learning curve to understanding neurofeedback. Um, and, and then there's also, you got to, there's a techie part um, that I think intimidates some people. Um, right. And, and uh, so I think it's more about not enough providers are getting into it. Mm -hmm. What the problem is. Yeah. And that would have been my follow-up question. Cause I know other modalities like EMDR specifically is fairly intensive too. So why would this one would be different? And, and I guess you kind of answered it because of perhaps the technicality behind it that can make it a bit more complicated for people. And here's another thing on that note, I think, is the other consideration is the research and the ability to do research about neurofeedback, because the brain is just 
vast. <laughs> There's so mm. many different areas that we can train and certain brain waves that we can try to train and and help do something with. And so there's not really just kind of a one or two or even a handful of things to kind of really structure the research in neurofeedback. And so therefore, it's just kind of all over the place. And as a result, it's become something that that research will say, oh, it's a very promising approach, but mm-hmm. we're not at the point of saying that it's necessarily um, a mainstream approach or a best practice yet. Whereas mm-hmm. other types like EMDR and CBT and some of those other types of modalities, there's, there's kind of a certain way certain way that you can do it and kind of a one-way type of thing and so it's very easily researched and Mm -hmm. studied that way right whereas neurofeedback is is not as much right right and and i think that's probably a good point to to get into right away here i guess the research to your point kale is fairly limited so we don't know fully all the benefits that come with neurofeedback right like one of the things i saw was it's been proven to um to be affected with epilepsy and ADHD, but not with some of the other disorders. And I believe there's more research happening, but we don't have that data yet. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I think it's there's been like preliminary evidence for other types of disorders and things like that, anxiety disorders as a kind of cluster being one of them, you know. So, but yeah, again, it's pretty hard to take just a one one type of approach or one technology or one software that's been developed to utilize neurofeedback and study that so extensively that we get um, to the point in the literature where it says, yes, in fact, this is best practice for this kind of an issue. I think we're sort of closer to that with the the, the epilepsy and the ADHD for sure. Right, right. So, so let's maybe get into it, like walk us through what does the modality entail? And, and I know one of the benefits immediately is it's not intrusive, but what does the modality entail from, from that perspective? Well, there are different ways to go about it, you know, but generally how we do it, we start with an assessment where we use an EEG to measure the electrical activity that's produced by the brain and create what we call a brain map. We look at how the brain is functioning, how it's working. And once we've done that assessment, we can look and see, well, where might it be stuck working too fast or too slow or how the balance or the connection between different locations. And when we see it's not functioning optimally, then we let's target those areas and can we train it to be faster there or slower there or better balanced from here to here or better connection between the areas. So in a nutshell, that's really what we're doing with neuro. Okay. And, and I guess you're getting that immediate feedback, whether or not the the client is responding appropriately based on the measurements you're taking. So how do you adjust and, and make those tweaks along the way? Yeah. So that's a, so what we do is after the initial assessment, and we do more than just a brain map, we do questionnaires and cognitive testing and and in structured interview to get to know them and see what's going on. Once we've done that, we will set protocols and and set, okay, these are the things like 10 or 12 things that we're going to work on. And then we say, okay, let's go do 20 hours, let's say of neurofeedback, working a few minutes on each one and cycling through these 12 different things. 
Um, we call it whole brain training. So we'll spend time at the front of the brain, at the back of the brain, the sides, the top, whatever, the different corners, and go cycling through those. And then afterward, once we're getting to about 20 hours, instead of just going on forever, then we say, okay, let's botch you. Let's do that assessment again. Take a look at the brain, another brain scan. We do the questionnaire, the cognitive test, and checking in with people to see, well, how are you feeling now? Um, is this working? Um, are we definitely? Do we need to do a little bit more or maybe we do need to look at something else? And at that point is where we might go, okay, well, you, if someone's like, yeah, this is good, but I want to, you know, get a little bit more in these areas. Okay. Then we can go um, honing in on some of the other things that we've been working on or even just update the protocol. Um, yeah. Okay. And, then I, and then I would just add to that, that um, if someone is experiencing, you know, something along the way that is, like less desirable, some sort of side mm -hmm. effect or, or something like that, then we can always make adjustments along the way as well. And we're very well trained and skilled to kind of be able to do that. But that's kind of goes back to that learning curve, like talked about, it's kind of like, there's a science to neurofeedback, and then there's an art to neurofeedback. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the science part is like the technicalities and the where to train and how to train and, and kind of what Blake spoke to. The art piece is more of a what happens if someone comes back with a particular symptom and as a clinician or, or a psychologist, we're going, OK, what do we do here? How do we balance, you know, what's going on and, and making sure we're getting kind of good outcomes here? Right, right. And I know, Blake, you mentioned that you're kind of mapping for an optimal point how do you determine what that is because obviously for my level of understanding which is fairly basic the brain is fairly complex and every individual is different how are you determining what the optimal level of functioning is for for a specific individual what a good question like um because it's not just oh let's target this or that there the honest truth is when it comes to neurofeedback is the cutting edge of science like this is as far as science has taken us. And so we're still learning it every year. There's more and more that we're learning. So we're understanding better and better how a more optimal brain will function. But we have to allow for every brain is different. So that's why we have to go as we're going along, something that usually works for, for someone to improve their attention. Be like, wow, this is giving me a headache. And, and, and it's like, oh, we might have to tweak something for that. Now, we do have some general things that we know um, that we've seen a thousand times before. And yeah, X and Y is Z, you know, and we're seeing this and this is what leads to your insomnia or your anxiety or your PTSD. There's some common things that we've seen so many times and respond to the same thing usually. And um, so we do have to base it off of, okay, usually this is how it works. Um, right. But, but we also have to allow for, okay, but every brain is different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of like the side effects, you mentioned that, you know, headaches could be one of them or migraines for that matter. But what are some of the typical side effects you can see with clients when you're working with them? I, I, and I would just caution there, like, it, I don't think migraines is a common symptom or side effect, but it can be. In, in people who have pre-existing migraines, whereas headaches um, could be something that is 
someone might not always experience, but may experience after doing neurofeedback a little bit. Um, just because, you know, obviously we don't want to scare people away by going, oh, no. no, I could I could induce a migraine. It's like, no, not typically. Um, but I think the most common side effects would be a little bit of a headache and they're usually mild, you know, um, you know, sometimes have to take a painkiller or something like that for that. But rarely, like it's enough that it's noticeable, but not extremely distressing and things. Um, and then the other kind of two common ones would just be fatigued like tired, drained, kind of feeling like feeling like they got a workout in, but for the brain. <laughs> um, and then the other one might even be alternative to that, which is a bit revved up, actually. So a little bit more energized, a little bit more um, alert and sometimes even on edge or a bit anxious. Uh, again, usually those are quite mild and not terribly distressing for people. And they know that it's kind of the normal process of making some change uh, mm-hmm. if it is, then of course, we're always there to support the person and make changes as appropriate. Yeah. Right. The last, the last side effect that I would say that I sometimes see is particularly for people with trauma and it, it, it's, we call it a side effect because it's not comfortable, but I really see it as, as the brain starts to process the trauma, there can be some irritability or, or, um, anxiety or man, I'm, crying as I'm thinking about grandma and she died seven years ago, like, um, you know, and be weepy for the, for the afternoon or something like that. And so that's another thing that can happen. Um, I, I do want to clarify though, like, yeah, we see side effects that happen. Um, but across the board, I would say neurofeedback to me, I see it about as safe as talk there. Yeah. Yeah. And then speaking of that, like, what are some of the benefits that you can identify in comparison to talk therapy? And I'm not saying that, you know, you pick one or the other, but some of the immediate benefits that clients can, can realize. Well, because it's not a talk therapy, you don't have to talk. So there's some people who can't talk and, right. and I don't just mean, and I have had some clients with selective mutism. They're just like, mm-hmm. talk. Um, or maybe they're kids that are young or, or autism spectrum disorder or, or down syndrome or whatever they, you can't speak or people, because of their trauma, that the language centers are shutting off in the brain and it, it's difficult to say what's going on or some people that have just, I, I've tried talking and this hasn't helped. So mm-hmm. that's a big advantage. It's not a talk there. Right. What would you say, Kayla? Um, I think that was my exact first place that my mind was going is that is the major benefit of it over a talk therapy. Um, The other benefit, if we're comparing something like other therapies that are used for trauma, for example, um, would be kind of along that same lines of you don't actually have to consciously, cognitively, linguistically relay or... um, remember or any of that right it's Mm -hmm. so it's very it can be a very implicit kind of like non-invasive approach that way and so it can be really helpful for people who maybe can't maybe there's repressed memories that they don't even have or know they have um, but is causing a problem for them so there's things like that the other piece i would say where neurofeedback sort of has an advantage over talk therapy would be when a person is really really stuck like 
maybe they've gone through lots of talk therapy and they're just hitting that plateau and they can't make more progress or any mm-hmm. progress or whatever. Um, or they, they have made some progress, but there's still some areas that just feel like they're not getting the movement that we might want. Um, I think that's where neurofeedback can really open things up because there might legitimately be an issue with, say, uh, an excessive amount of slow wave in the part of the brain that's responsible for kind of shifting gears. And if we have too much of that going on, then no amount of talk therapy is going to help a person be able to shift away from rumination and uh, perseveration and some of those kinds of things. But neurofeedback can. Right. So I think there's there's definitely some potential advantages with neurofeedback over talk therapy um, in those ways. Right. It's also a different type of therapy. So we can be um, treating or helping things that 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 talk therapy doesn't help with Mm -hmm. um, or or you don't see it particularly helpful for um, like way some examples might be um for adhd you can mm-hmm. learn skills but but neural feedback really seems to be no you can try the brain so you can focus right you know and 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 follow-up studies show um a, a, a big percentage i think it's somewhere between 40 50 percent 12 15 years later after doing two months of neural feedback 12 15 years ago still need no more medication don't need any more help and, and so that's something that we don't see happening with medication or counseling kind of thing. Um, right. Yeah. So there's something that is just like that you can treat through neurofeedback that you can't. With. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and one of the things I was wondering, and maybe you guys can help me understand, like typically I'm just using myself as, as an example here to your point, Kayla, like there's often emotions that we repress, right? And just, for me, when I went for talk therapy, when it came to my awareness, I was able to deal with those emotions a lot better and get over some of that perhaps childhood trauma that I had repressed. Do you see the same results with neurofeedback, even though you're not bringing those emotions to, to, to your awareness? Yeah, I think we definitely can. Um, for it, it depends a little bit, I think, on sort of the type of person too and and the meaning making that they require some people are just very analytical linguistic do really well with conscious direct kind of processing too so that's like where you know maybe a combined approach would come in really Mm. well or um or some talk therapy to start maybe we hit a stuck point we go and have some neurofeedback then we go back for some talk therapy like i don't think it has to be just one or the other but um i i see yeah the benefits of kind of a combined approach and i still think we we can see benefit even if it's not directly conscious or the the direct awareness isn't necessarily there. Although some people would argue that they would like that more because then moving forward in their life, they can pick up on things where it's like, oh, that reminds me of back when I now have awareness around this. I can do better in future too, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think you answered my, my next question that you don't necessarily have to do neurofeedback in isolation. You can combine it with traditional forms of therapy or kind of go back and forth depending on the individual's needs. Um, is that something you guys typically see or most of the clients are just strictly neurofeedback? 
Well, we, we definitely have some, a, a, a lot that are just strictly neural feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, but gosh, like what percentage that would do counseling as well or alongside, um, I don't know, maybe one, maybe 20% yeah. or maybe a little less than that, maybe 15 or 20%. I yeah. find, um, afterwards will be like, oh yeah, I'd like to do some counseling and, you know. Okay. And, and typically what are like the amount of sessions or hours that an individual needs for, for this type of treatment? In the research, I think you'll see like numbers in the range of 20 to 40 hours or so. Um, at our clinic, we suggest a foundational start of 20 hours. Um, and that, that can be enough for some people to like achieve their goals, um, you know, see improvements on a post assessment brain map, that kind of thing. For some, it, it, it does require a little bit more, but that's just the conversation we have with people at that point. You know, how are you doing? What's your brain map showing? Where are we at? Uh, is there any indication for more or should we stop and take a break and, or maybe switch to some counseling or whatever it may be. Right. So we start with me yeah. and go from there. Okay, cool. Um, and I guess along those lines, uh, when I came to your clinic, uh, the one, I believe it's close to Marta Loop, but, uh, you guys mentioned that you priced it appropriately. So it's affordable for people and it's, you know, fairly similar to getting therapy and, and you guys are also covered by insurance, if I'm not mistaken. So why was all of that important for you guys to make that accessible for people? Oh, okay. I want to answer this one because I'm really passionate about <laughs> this. I, 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 when I first started out, I had one machine and it was just me and, and I, it, it was expensive and people couldn't afford it. So I'd be like, oh, well, let's find a way to make it affordable and um, let's do a sliding scale and because I wanted people to get better, but, but, but then it was hard for me to have a viable business doing it like that. And, and I was just like, how can I make this affordable for people? And after like thinking and looking at it, the only thing I could come up with is if I, if we scale this bigger, if we have more rooms and more people doing this, um, then we can do that. So we really pride ourselves that, um, it, it, it can be expensive, but insurance can pay for it. And, but we also work very hard to make it affordable for anybody that really wants this. And it's like, we'll figure it out. There are a lot of things that we can do to, to make that possible. So it, it, it's kind of a hard thing because like, do you advertise, you know, Oh, everybody, you know, like that get that it gets difficult to do, but like we have a lot of strategies and ways to make it affordable. So we don't want anybody to be like, Oh, I can't afford it to not get treatment because they can't afford it. It's like, well, yeah, us. let's figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like, just to add on to that, uh, some people are actually covered or have some form of funding that they can mm -hmm. utilize that they are kind of unaware of even, you know, like we have a few people that come to us and turns out, oh, they've had a workplace accident and this is stemming from that. So then WCB comes into play or, um, or, oh, there's been a motor vehicle accident and that's why you have the concussion and you're struggling and your mental health is going, is dipping too. So, okay, that now comes into play um, or all of these different kind of ways, veterans affairs, all, all of these things. So um, 
Blake and I have really, I think, honed a good process at, at intake where we try and help people understand that and find, be really strategic about how can we possibly support you in the best way possible, even from what we know of how the benefit companies work and years rolling over and things like that, you know, like we can really work with, um, with some information that people are willing to give us about their situation. And then if none of that applies and we're left with, okay, how can we move forward with just a, a, a sliding scale fee kind of a thing? We'll work with people that way too, like Blake said. Right. Right. And, and I think that's a huge issue because I've covered that previously on this podcast too, in terms of accessibility around mental health and you know, I appreciate the work you guys are doing to make it more accessible for everyone, because uh, to your point, if it's, if it's not affordable, then people can't get the help they need. And, and then obviously the suffering just continues, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to get a bit technical cause I'm super curious, <laughs> but I do, the way I understand it, the brain waves are excited or, or I guess dampened for that reason. So how is that happening through the, I guess, the machine and, and some of the exercises the clients are going through? Like, how are you exciting or, or manipulating the brainwaves in that manner? Yeah. And, and, and this comes down a, a lot to the vocabulary that we use, you right. know, like, and when we say we're manipulating the brain, well, that's kind of depends what you mean by manipulating it. Right. So what we do, we're, I'll give an example where if ADHD, a lot of times what we'll see in the front left of the brain, too much of these slow state of brain waves, not enough of these focus theta brain waves. So we see this imbalance, too much of the slow, not enough of those fast. Okay. So let's put a sensor there and monitor those brain waves. And when we see more of those focus brain waves, we want to tell the brain, yes, that's what we want. Keep doing that. So Pac-Man moves along the screen or you listen to music and it'll get louder. And then when you have too much of those slow ones and not enough of the focused ones, it'll get quieter. Kind of like a game of hot and cold and going guiding the brain to, to focus better. Or maybe we'll be listening to a song that has instruments. And when the brain strays from what we want, one of the instruments will just cut out for a second, signaling to the brain, no, that's not what we want. And yeah. the brain, that instrument, and then it comes up, okay, it's back now. Kind of like training a puppy. At first, it doesn't know why it's getting this treat. Like, why'd you give me a treat? Then it starts to recognize, oh, when I give him my paw into his hand, that's when I get a treat. You do that a few times, and then after a while, um, you can take the treat away. Dog has learned a new trick. And um, I guess to put it crudely, that's how we're training the brain. Um, right. Yeah. And then I get this question a lot, and I don't know if you were about to ask this next um, around like, okay, but then how do you generalize that to like mm -hmm. the daily life? Like, how do you go from, okay, I'm making these improvements in session, but then what about outside a session, right? Mm -hmm. And the best way that it was ever kind of explained to me in my mentorship when I was going through this, and I like to share with others, is it's kind of like the brain loves to feel strong and healthy and efficient and well. Like that is the ultimate goal, right? And and the brain loves that. And so when it starts to recognize the patterns that allow for that, it will start to do that on its own without us right. having to constantly give the puppy the treat or give the feedback and so on, right? But in order right. to do that, we need 
like, you know, repetitive number of sessions to actually ingrain that learning into the brain. So first few sessions is like, yeah, you're kind of getting exposed to the idea. And then like next few sessions is, okay, you're finally, you're learning now. You're really learning the skill. Your brain is really figuring this out. And then the last few sessions is, and now we're actually ingraining this. This is actually becoming a quote unquote learned skill versus just something we're practicing, which would be kind of equivalent to what's more at the beginning, right? So that's that's why the repetitive number of sessions and and ultimately generalization. Right. And, And I'm assuming there's an aspect of neuroplasticity that's happening there, right? Through the repetitiveness. So it's like any new, like, when you're practicing your golf swing, it, it re- requires a certain number of hours before you master it. So it's kind of the same thing. Exactly. Obviously not that simple, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess as we come to an end here, I just wanted to understand like right now you guys are in Calgary and I also believe you have some locations in Edmonton. What are the plans here for the future and where do you see like the future of neurofeedback as well, based on some of the networks you guys have in in terms of the training you've had and people you've talked to in the same field, where do you see this expanding? So perhaps let's talk about locally and then maybe on a larger scale after that. Yeah. Well, Blake and I have like big dreams to, to expand like, you know, all over the nation, if possible. I have um, some connections and some family all the way in Australia. So there's been talk of international uh, growth at some point in this company. So we feel like pretty young, pretty fresh, pretty ready to take it all on. And we're ready to kind of spend the next, well, probably the rest of our careers doing this. So that's kind of our hope for our, on a company level and, and where we can take it. And then I don't know, maybe Blake, you can speak to the whole where it's at in the field, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and where neural feedback is going in general, I, I, I see it growing and I see it growing fast. And some of, I, and there are, there have been some years where I would say, uh, when I look back, some of the, the biggest difficulties in the business was managing growth. That's not always what the biggest difficulty is, but sometimes like it's growing and it's growing fast. And people, we're, we're psychologists and we're professional. So we're being quite conservative how we talk about it here. But I'm telling you, I would say miracles is what we see like with people here and there, like just these miraculous things of people seeing great results. Not everybody gets, it's not hundred percent, but man, there's just, we get good results. And with that, people tell their friends and then, you know, and then, and family and it grows. And because we're seeing such good results and because it's so safe, and it's a kind of a cool thing to be able to see what your brain looks like. It's growing and it's growing fast. I think it's just going to continue to grow. Now, some cool things that are happening is um, not only is the field of neural feedback growing, but it's improving. Like, mm-hmm. like this is like, think of the deep ocean and we're just scratching the surface. I, I would say that the human brain is more complex um, than the ocean. I, I think it's the most complex organization that we know of period right yeah we're not scratching the surface and as we learn more and, and we go improving it it's just going to continue to get better and better easier to use better results faster cheaper like the future it's bright for neural feedback amazing and 
I mean, I think that's all the questions I had. Um, is there anything else that you feel that we need to cover or you feel like is important to, to mention here as we come to an end um, that is of value or that listeners can benefit from? Like, so, uh, <laughs> you, go ahead. Uh, you go ahead first. I mean, one thing that I think is that I think because of some terminology and what it's called and things, there's some mystical mysteriousness about neurofeedback. And even though it's a science and, and we can really break it down to its most basic components and it's like, oh, that's what it is. Okay. I thought it was like some airy fairy, whatever kind of thing, you know, um, it, it's, it is complicated at the same time though. And so I always tell people, please don't feel like, you know, detracted from from this or the experience just because of your initial like understandings of it because it is very deep and complicated and so you know keep with it and and Blake and I I think try our very best to make sure that people can understand it on the level that they need to you know um so there's that piece and then i i think kind of alongside of that you know i i just think it's so important that we get the information out there like that's part of the biggest problem with the barrier to this type of modality is that it's just not well known about and it's and so you know like of course we offer information sessions which we call them or consultations where we just say come in and learn about this just come talk to us for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes or whatever it is, ask your questions, let us show you the technology, sit in one of our rooms. Um, let's have this discussion and, and make you feel like you're not just walking into something that you're totally mystified by and have no idea if it's actually going to work and et cetera like that. Right. So um, that's, yeah, that's what I would add. Yeah. Um, what I would like to add, cause I'm thinking, okay, if you're millions of listeners here, after listening to this, they, they, like, I think a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, this is cool. This sounds interesting, but not sure if it's hitting home to people, if this is going to benefit me, um, because we haven't gone into a lot of personal stories about, oh, the person was suffering with this and this is what they, and, and, and this person and, and how it helped this. And, 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 um, someone think I can hear out of my left ear now. Or like, you know, and, or like I, I'm, I'm sleeping eight hours through the night. I haven't done that for 20 years. Or, um, I, I was able to do this that I never thought I'd be able to do. Or, or, or a mom saying, um, you know, after her son, um, on autism spectrum said, if you had told me before we started that you would get my son to this level where he's at now, I wouldn't have done it because I wouldn't have believed you. I would have been like, there's no way. There's no way you could do that. This is just baloney. And she's like, I, I cannot believe how much this has helped. And we just get story after story after story. And I want people listening to, to really be able to resonate. Oh, well, maybe it could help with OCD or um, migraines or trauma or concussion. Like it, the stories just go on and on and on with people that have been helped with neurofeedback. So right. I, I, I wish I could reach out to everybody and be like, Hey, this might be exactly what you need. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, very kind of you. I don't have that many people, not <laughs> million, but hopefully even the little bit helps. Um, so absolutely. And I think 
to Kayla's point, like the, that's how I was able to learn more was to come in through that initial consult and ask the questions that I would recommend everyone to check it out at the very minimum. Right. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I guess for, for the listeners that are here and listening that want to get a hold of you guys and learn more, what are some ways they can do that? Yeah. So just, I mean, the most basic way to would be to go to the website, www.sanostate.com. Um, we have all the little links there, the information, um, email or phone, if they're comfortable with that. We even have a little messaging uh, system that they can just type right in. It takes a day or two to respond, but those would be um, the probably the best ways they'd like. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll put that in the show notes as well. So, but again, thank you both of you, Kayla and Blake, for coming on and having this conversation with me. I really uh, enjoyed this. I learned a lot and I can see you b- both are passionate about this. So I, like I said, I would encourage the listeners to check it out and, and see what it's all about. Yeah. Off. Thanks. And thanks for having us. Like on it, like you can see, like we love this and we love talking about this. This is such a good use of my time. Like I, this is awesome. Thanks for inviting us. And yeah. thanks for doing what you do. Like even just being able to reach a broader audience and and do what you're doing too like this is really cool i i was like ecstatic to be able to come and do this so well yeah no i appreciate it so thank you both of you thanks yeah thank you you're welcome thank you for checking out this episode with blake and kayla as always please leave a review or comments in the comment section i always love hearing from you and until next week